hot mic moment causes a stir around the league and costs a veteran referee his remaining minutes. The Sabres are already starting to make trades, yet the losses are still piling up somehow. But there's one topic that has been nagging on us for a long time, mid-season awards. And this week, we're finally going to tackle them. The only question is, will you agree with our selections? Buckle up. It's going to be a fun one. Episode 262 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. As mentioned, off the top of the show, we will get to the midseason awards. But first, a hot mic moment that Tim Peel, Brett, will probably want to forget, unfortunately, cost him his job and causes a bigger discussion after the fact. Yeah, it's definitely interesting because, like, you know, before this situation happened uh which we're about to get into it's like i wasn't really like the biggest fan of tim peel i think he's he's had a couple of controversial calls in the past i'm blanking on which calls in the something like that so like it's not like he's like known as the greatest ref um one affected uh, your bruins in 2017 didn't it oh i thought that was a kelly um okay yeah you're right you were you you were mentioning in the email chain you got it confused yeah, that, I thought that was Kelly Sutherland, but that was in 2019. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. There was a time in um, during the 2017 Bruins and Sens game, ref, uh, like one of those like playoff games against the Bruins and the Sens where there was like a no call on something that was very obvious that was against your Sens. Um, yeah, if I remember that, but... Um, yeah, so so yeah, you're right. There was that call, but I I forgot about that one. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so I but like even before that, sorry, uh, I guess there's a pop up here. Um, yeah. There, like even before that, like I I think he just has the reputation of like, um, just missing calls like that or or doing that stuff. So, um, so I I think it it wasn't like you know he he is set to retire in a month. And he wasn't really known for being, like, the best ref. <laughs> so it's, like, I think there was, like, a time when he uh, met with, like, a reporter, uh, Craig, Greg Wyshynski, for, like, a beer. And Greg Wyshynski did some, like, article on him, interviewing him. And, uh, like, the next day, Colin Campbell, like, uh, like took him off of the Devils game because Greg Wyshynski is known as a Devils fan. Um, so it's like, it's, it's kind of weird that you were punishing Tim Peel for that. And that was kind of strange, but like the reason why Greg Wyshynski was doing it is because he has a beef with Tim Peel in the past. So it's like, uh, he's kind of like known as this like ref that isn't necessarily always gets everything right. So anyways, uh, that's besides the point because, um, so on Tuesday, uh, he was refing a Nashville Detroit game which uh, Kelly Sutherland also was refing too but he was caught on a hot mic that said um, after a tripping penalty on pre- the Predators Victor Arvidsson and apparently later we find out he was talking to Philip Forsberg about this on uh, this exact quote um, 
There wasn't much, but I wanted to get an effing penalty um, against Nashville early in the third, I think. And that's when it gets inaudible at that point. But but it, it was just proof that um, he uh, he said that like he, he was pretty much awarding a penalty just because he, like as a makeup call, admitting that there's makeup calls do exist. Um, and then the next day, uh, Tim Field get Tim Peel gets uh, fired um, uh, for raffing things. And as I mentioned, uh, the thing is, is that uh, April twenty fifth, uh, he's going to retire. So it's not like you know. And they and the other thing is, is they kind of worded it weirdly in their message. They said that um, he is not. He is relieved from games for a month. Or something like that. They didn't use the word fired. Um, and he's still getting pensions uh, plans. He's still, like, he can still retire in peace. It's just he's he's just not on, <laughs> he's not refing anymore um, for the rest of the time. Um, and, you know, the thing that this, this just raises more questions um, now because... Like I think we're not all none of us are surprised by the the this comment. It's not like that thing, and also like this happens in football. This happens in basketball. It's not the only sport that this happens to. I think where you get into danger with is that like there's actual proof that this is what refs do. Is they like we all are aware that like refs aren't perfect and they don't like, see a lot of the calls that they're making, especially for a game like hockey, where it is so fast-paced. But, um, yeah, it's it's now it's... Um, yeah, it's, it's just, like, this is, like, proof that... This is, like, something that the NHL tells their refs to do, is, like, you know, try to do makeup calls and don't, like, over-penalize players or for for stuff because you know we want to make it sure it's fair however if like there's a team that's not making any penalties and there are there's another team that's making a lot of penalties then call that you know don't don't try to make like these phantom calls just to even the game because that's not fair either um so it's like it's one thing if the nhl was like you know we're gonna fire this ref because we realize this is a problem and this is not how we do things but that's not what's going on. This is just a way for them to cover it up because uh, they don't want... The, the reason why they didn't say that he was fired is because they don't want him to sue because he could say, like, well, I have proof that the NHL wants us to make makeup calls and, and all that stuff. So, um, I mean, I guess this is a conspiracy but um, at this point, but it's, it's, like, it is crazy that, like, even though he is a bad ref, it's like I'm kind of on Tim Peel's side. It's like he kind of he was being fought, he's being quote unquote fired for something that he was told to do and something that a lot of refs already do. Yeah, so uh, regarding uh, the Tim Peel incident, if you're wondering how it even became a thing, uh, it turns out an audio technician in one of the TV trucks was checking on the ref's mic and thought the broadcast had already gone to commercials. It was a few seconds away from doing so, uh, um, <laughs> which unfortunately led to this moment. Um, That's hilarious. And yeah, yeah, so that just the audio technician 
that was the only thing standing in the way of this becoming like a secret and everyone knowing about it yep. and his career just ultimately ending unexpectedly. This isn't anything that I don't think is new to people that kind of like watch this game. Like I can kind of get, you know, the, the need to like not make teams look bad. Like you don't want to call 10 penalties on one team and only two go the other way. You don't want to see that, especially if it's like a bottom feeding team that, you know, isn't really good. And like, they're in the bottom of the barrel for a reason. Right. Um, it, it doesn't look good on the team. It doesn't look good on the game that these teams are just being hung out to dry like that. So you want to call it as possible. At the same time, if every single one of those 10 penalties is deserved and you're trying to, to get like as many penalties going the other way and you're calling like four or five ticky tack calls that you didn't really call against the other team, but you're calling against this team. Cause you got to try and even things up. I don't, I also don't think that's fair because at, at that point, the line is just moving like every 10 right. or 15 minutes. Like at the end of the day, players want consistency out of the officials. They want to know, okay, this isn't being called in the first period. Isn't going to be called in the second period or the third period. Cause the players, you know, they have, they have a game plan to follow. They want to play against the team a certain way. Cause coaches are directing to play against their opponent a certain way. Like the way that Vegas plays, the way that Carolina plays, it, it might not be like the hardest hitting brand of hockey, but they play a fast game. And if they feel if the coaching staff feels like going up against them with the, with the bigger sizes is to their advantage or, or, or something like that, then, you know, the, the players at the end of the day, they're not trying to do what the rest tell them to do. They're doing what their coach tells them to do. The coach is who they listen to in practice and who they listen to in games. The last thing they want to worry about is, okay, if I do this or if I do this, am I going to get a penalty for it? Because that's the worst thing you want to do as a player is put your team in, in that tough situation. So you need to know what's acceptable and what's not. And I think communicating that to the benches, if you're an official, that's very important. And not to say that they don't. I'm sure they do if they know that the flow of the game is going to change constantly. But again, it, it's like goaltender interference. Like, it might be called a certain way in the eyes of one referee. And then the next thing you know, oh, well, the call in that game, that goal is called back. Why Why did the goal in our game stand? Like, right. why did the other team get the goal? It, it, it just seems like the there there's like everyone, everyone's like trying to follow the same rules, but sometimes the rules aren't being followed to the letter. And John Tavares made an interesting point where he says, you know, if it was being called by the rule book, then you'd have, like, teams getting penalized seven, eight, nine, right. ten times a game, and, like, that would ruin the flow, which yeah. which I get. I, I, I totally get that, but, it, again, like, call the game fairly. Like, the saying two wrongs don't make a right is, right is a perfect example of this. Like, you miss one call, and you're just like, okay, well, I'm going to get – I'm going to get him on, on this, on like eh, an iffy call, but like it's it's good enough. I, I I guess it serves as a penalty. Like with everything being so close, Matt Duchesne said, 
do you want to call like a penalty and that leads to the eventual game winner and we miss the playoffs by a point? Like every game matters. Even if you're playing against the bottom fears in the league, every single point, every single goal is that much more magnified. And with this out there, I feel like the refs um, are under even like they were under the microscope before, but even more so now with, with this being out, because like everyone knows it's not like, like hush hush taboo kind of stuff. Like everyone is aware that sometimes this is how the game is called. And now the reputation of the game is at stake, the integrity of the at stake and how the refs call it a few nights later, much not Montreal, Ottawa, Toronto, Ottawa, I believe the Sens had like six guys on the ice for like anywhere between like 10 and 30 seconds. And I don't know if it was that call specifically, but Wayne Simmons was spotted, I think, during the commercial break or during a stoppage in play, going to the refs. And one of the refs covers his uh, the collar of his shirt where the mic is to make it so that the TV can't pick up what he's saying to Wayne Simmons. Right. So, like, if that's how things are going to be, it's like, oh, nothing changes, just make sure the mic doesn't catch you. Like, this is where the NHL, like, really needs to step up. It's one thing to to stand up and, like, take action on this because, yeah, Tim Peel made a mistake. He's it, – it's a big mistake, and it cost him his career, and that's unfortunate. I don't think he deserved to go out like that, but I think it speaks to, like, the bigger problem. Like, is there a different way that the NHL needs to go in terms of how it officiates games? Right. If you're just going to cover the mic and things aren't going to change, like what just happened? Like yeah. we're not going to change the game. We're but if someone like blatantly says that we can't have that ruin the integrity of the game, so they're gone. Like if they did, if they stood by and did nothing, then it would show that the NHL is clearly turning a blind eye to the obvious. Yeah. If they if if they want to really show that they're not turning a blind eye to the obvious. There better be some serious changes after this offseason and some serious evaluation because the status quo just isn't going to do it. Um, yeah, like I said, I think I'm like I would be okay if like in that email in that message to to everyone that they said that like you know this is something that's just unacceptable and you know this uh, we're going to work to change things around. I would be okay if the NHL said that. But that's not what they did, and they, instead they said like he's just been let go, and he's not going to be refing games anymore. Um, and then you know he's he's just retiring, and they just hope that people just forget about it, um, which you know might be the case. Um, but um, yeah, I I think I have more of an issue with the fact that like they are doing that. Like there 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 should be a fairer way of doing this, um, but they're they're not even mentioning that and. Um, Almost like the fact that they didn't say that he was fired is kind of proof that like like they don't they they know that Tim Peel has something on them um, or that he could he could press charges. Yeah, absolutely. Which is the black eye that the NHL doesn't want. And I also mm-hmm. think um, in terms of this whole situation, if this was a referee that was midway through their career, not a month away from retiring. Would this have been handled differently? Would they have taken the same route and said, okay, you're done? Yeah. 
that that's that's the interesting part that we won't know the answer to. Right. But I it, it is interesting how Tim Peel was a month away from retiring anyway. So it's just like, eh, you can take your retirement early. Right. And we thank you for your service. You did good, but um, we we won't need your services anymore. Right. Um. So that that's another part of the situation that that I found intriguing when I found out that um, he was yeah. going to retire in a month. It's also funny that he like he taught he was talking to Philip Forsberg like this is like a normal mm-hmm. like casual like just casually saying like oh yeah I had to give you guys a penalty even though I didn't really see anything wrong with it it's just like yeah like it appears that the concept of game management yeah. that they have right now is like, just yeah. fine with them he was he was just like yeah he was just telling this to Philip Forsberg uh, this was um by the way I, we found out that he was talking to Philip Forsberg by Matt Duchesne who did have a problem with this whole thing because he was saying like, you know, just, just call the game right. It's like, you don't need to make, do makeup calls. It doesn't really make sense. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Um, all right, moving on. Um, we do have a couple of trades, but we will talk about one in particular. Uh, one was, um, Anaheim Ducks are getting Alexander Volkov, um, and Tampa gets Antoine Morand in a 2023 conditional seventh round pick. So just prospects for prospects. Volkov, did have some hype around him a couple of years ago, but it seems like he never really took off. But um, I guess he'll he'll probably have a better chance of making a starting lineup uh, for the Ducks than he would for the Lightning, which makes sense. So so maybe that will work out. Uh, another one is Brandon Lemieux goes to the Kings. Um, the Rangers just get a 2021 fourth-round pick. So that's an interesting move there. Um, I guess he can join uh, teammate Leas Anderson there um, in L.A., um, former teammate, I guess, at the time. But the one that we are going to spend a couple of minutes on um, is Eric Stahl is going to the Montreal Canadiens, um, and then we have the Sabres get a 2021 third-round pick and a 2021 fifth-round pick. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a this was kind of inevitable in terms of the Sabres because you know they're they're trying to you know their season is done. Um, already, and they're trying to make the most out of players that they won't re-sign again. So, yeah, it makes sense to trade someone like Eric Stahl and, and give him an opportunity to maybe um, make the the Stanley Cup Finals again and, and maybe win the Cup again. Um, I forgot that he already had a Cup. If You know, that was a forgettable team when the Canes won that year. Um, but, um, but yeah, so, so Eric Stahl, it's interesting for... Montreal now because, um, you know, they do have Nick Suzuki. They do have uh, Jesperi Kotkanemi. They just signed Cole Caulfield uh, to a couple of deals, although Cole Caulfield's not a center. Um, But um, I guess he's probably, and they also have Philip Deneau, who's a decent, you know, two-way forward. Um, so, So ideally he's probably a third or a fourth line guy, a center for them. Um, and then all of a sudden they have like a solid group of centers here. Um, and, and so it, it, it could work out for the Montreal Canadiens, especially getting like a veteran guy for a relatively young team like the Canadians. So this could be like beneficial from, from like a veteran presence type role for them. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I, I kind of like this deal for the, the Canadians, um, it's, it wasn't like they didn't have to give up too much. It wasn't like a first round pick or anything like that. It's just, 
a third and a fifth. And by the way, they still have, I'm looking at their cap friendly page right now. They have the Blackhawks and the Capitals third round pick, and they have the Senators and the Flyers fifth round pick. Uh, so, so they still have two picks in both those rounds. So it's not like they're, um, they, they need, um, need those picks in particular because they can, you know, they still have two picks in that, in those rounds. Um, they also have three picks in the fourth round as well. Um, so, so yeah, I think it, it was a good deal. Yeah. I, I, considering that they, again, their, their asset management and their accumulation of draft picks and the fact that Buffalo retains 50% of Stahl's salary, like even if it's 10 points in 32 games, you look at Buffalo, there's not really right. too many stat lines where you go and it's like, wow, that's, that's amazing. Like right. it's 10 points in 32 games is pretty decent considering how bad the Sabres have been. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you only have a third and a fifth this year to get it done. That's decent value for a veteran that's accumulated over a thousand points in his career you get experience down the middle, which, again, the struggle to find a number one center is still there for Montreal. Um, even with all of the additions that Bergevin has made over the last little while, um, there's, they've, they've still struggled to find that missing number one centerpiece. Um, I, I feel like the amount of top nine depth that Montreal has, they have the likes of Josh Anderson and Tyler Toffoli and Brendan Gallagher, uh, Thomas Tatar, Philip Deneau, um Nick Suzuki, as you mentioned, I would say it's better than Buffalo's depth. They have more structure on defense. They have more structure between the pipes. And there's a lot more, I don't know, run-and-gun type of offense in the Canadian division where I feel like Eric Stahl, I don't know if he could try, but like but put up at least decent numbers, like 0.67 points per game. That would be that would be something that I think Montreal would would happily take in that in in those circumstances. Um, so I think, and, and then you have Cole Caulfield uh, signing his entry level, and what could happen with him? Maybe he's NHL ready right away. Who really knows? But um, if you add him to that offense, yep. like Montreal's all of a sudden looking very very sharp. The one thing, and it's separate from this trade. The one thing that really irks me is the seven-day quarantine. In case you missed it, the Canadian government had a 14-day plan in place for any players coming from America to Canada. Because of the trade deadline, they shrunk that to seven days. Here's why I don't like it. Buffalo, earlier this year, got hit by COVID. Eric Stahl on the Buffalo Sabres. Montreal recently became the first Canadian team to have games postponed because of COVID. They had three against the Oilers, one against Ottawa postponed. Why, where cases are going up in Ontario, I think they're going up in Quebec as well. Why, world, you would pick the time now to shrink the 14-day quarantine to seven days just because of some silly trade deadline? It's just stupid and reckless to me. I, I don't know why the Canadian government would do this, even though vaccines are coming in. It's it's not the time to just say okay yeah what's what's uh, you know seven days of no more quarantine yeah fine just make the trade sooner like if you're an, if you're a Canadian NHL team or an American NHL team dealing with these circumstances just deal with it like there there are things that are bigger than sports and shrinking right. the quarantine by seven days just to appease NHL GMs because of a trade deadline I'm sorry that's 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 really risky, and I 
don't think it's a good idea at all. Yeah, it is interesting the way that they're doing it, but I mean, at least they're doing some form of quarantine, but, um, but yeah, maybe it's like, maybe they, they realized like after the PLD line A trade, they're, they're just realizing like, oh, maybe we have to, uh, limit it out like that. But yeah, from like a human perspective, it doesn't really make sense because it's, you know, it's still not over. I know a lot of people here in the States are getting vaccinated. Hopefully I get um, vaccinated, uh, in April, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's still, it's, it's not over even, even with like, with that going on, it's close to being over, but it's not, it's not over yet. Um, and speaking of things that haven't ended, uh, the Sabres losing streak has now reached 17 games, which is a new franchise record. Yeah, they were, they were close to being my Bruins uh, yesterday, but, um, but not close enough, apparently not close enough though. No. Um, so, so there's that. Um, and I think, wait, I forget, I know the Bruins play today, but I think it's the Devils, not the, yeah, it's the, uh, the Devils. Yeah, the, they're playing the Devils, yeah. Um, so, um, so yeah, so now we, we've been meaning to do, like, a mid-season awards type thing, although I feel like now it's, like, a th- three-quarters <laughs> award. Yeah. <laughs> awards, it's not, uh, mid-season. Um, so... Uh, yeah, it's just like we have some predictions. So we have the Hart Trophy, which is the MVP, just as a reminder in case people forget. Calder, which is rookie, um, rookie of the year. Uh, Norris, which is um, the uh, the defenseman. Uh, Vezina, which is goalie. Jack Adams, which is coach. And Rocket, which is just most goals. Um, so, so, yeah, we're going to start off with the Hart Trophy. We alluded to this last week, but um, I think... We're both in agreement that it's Connor McDavid. Um, just from, uh, I mean, I mentioned this last week, but like even still, if you look, um, you know, if this were a full eighty-two point season, or if this was a fully eighty-two game season, um, Connor McDavid would have a one hundred and forty-five points in eighty-two games. Uh, so that's that's insane, um, and. Um, he would be like the first person uh, since like 1993 to have more than one, even 130 points. Um, so just from that alone is pretty good enough. Um, would would do it for you because I know that's all offensive, but like that's impressive nonetheless. Um, and I guess you can make the case that like Leon Drysaitel is the next person on the points list, and he's the only one who's even close. But he's like 10 points. Or nine points behind, um, so so I guess you can make a case for Leon Drysaitel, um, but um, and like you may you know maybe because teams have to worry about Drysaitel like McDavid that you know you can't like cover both of those guys at the same time, so maybe there is something to that, but um, also McDavid's been like apparently according to a couple of like advanced hockey people that I've talked to. He's been like up there in defense as well, um, so he's he's been picking it up there. He has a plus sixteen, um, which I know doesn't tell the whole picture of it, but that's still pretty impressive. Uh, that like even even still, he has sixty two points in thirty five games. That 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 fact alone is um, should make him get the Hart Trophy nom or the Hart Trophy there. Um, I guess, should I do honorable mentions, or do you want to say who your Hart Trophy 
Buccaneers. I'm going to make a solid case for one particular player to challenge McDavid, sure. and that'll take a while, so you go with your mentions. Okay, well, maybe it's the same one um, okay. <laughs> then. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, guess, I like that. You're just doing devil's advocate here. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, my that's honorable... That's the only one you can tackle it at this point, I feel well, like. Well, I mean, that's the, that's the main reason why I'm doing an honorable mention, because I, yeah. I know it's going to be McDavid, but I will give honorable mention to Patrick Kane. Um, I think the fact that, um, he, uh, you know, the, I think like before this year started, I mean, I guess a part of it is, I mean, I'm, I'm also a spoiler alert there. Like he's not the only black Hawk I nominated, but, um, but, uh, so, so you could make a case like that, like before the season, we weren't sure about the black Hawks goaltending, the fact that Jonathan Taze and Kirby doc were out, we weren't sure how good Patrick Kane was going to be. Also, like the fact that Alex DeBrincat, we weren't sure about like if he was going to have a bounce back season. It looks like he's back. Kirby Doc is back, but the fact that like the Chicago Blackhawks are in playoff contention, they might still be out of it by the end of this thing. But uh, the fact that they're still in it um, at this point is pretty crazy. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with Patrick Kane. Um, he Right, and, and exactly, he has a 47 points in 35 games, that puts him 47 in points. Again, it's not like, um, of course, like, offense isn't the only reason to, to do this, um, or to nominate him, but he also has like a 7 plus minus, um, and he's doing pretty well um, in, uh, you know, in terms of like the advanced stats as well, and those metrics, and uh, yeah, he's also playing 22 minutes on ice uh, per game, or that's how much he's averaging. So, like, yeah, it's um, it's pretty... Ins- uh, that's I feel like that's unusual for even a forward to have that many minutes um, on average. So, um, so yeah, that, that would be my guess. If it's not McDavid, then it's probably Patrick King. And, and also, like McDavid, um, and unlike McDavid... He doesn't have like a dry side all that's that's close. I mean, I guess you have Debrincat who has more than po- uh, one point per game, but um, but still, I think I think it's going to be Patrick Kane. Yeah, it also helps that Debrincat has had a resurgence and Piusuter quietly has like yeah. eleven goals or something. Yeah, and good. now that Doc is back and hopefully Taze joins him soon. Uh, things are looking pretty good for for Chicago, and Kevin Lankinen has been a stud for them too. So there, there's definitely been other pieces that have brought it, but no question about it. Like Patrick Kane has been MVP level caliber for at least a solid two, three seasons now. Yep. And who knows how bad the Hawks would be without him? So yeah, it's, I, it's, I can get into that. It's um, in, it's interesting not, about Patrick Kane though that just because like I feel like no one really is talking about him because he's been solid even on when the Blackhawks were terrible, too. It's like, you know, this is pretty usual for him, too. It's it's kind of weird that no one really talks about him um, still. Especially when you consider statistically he's yeah. been better than he was when the Hawks were that dominant. Yeah, that's that's a good point, too. Anyways. Um, anyway, so that is a very good choice. It is not my choice. My choice is, and I'm sure a lot of people who've listened to the podcast a long time Know where I'm going with this. My pick would be Mark Stone of the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh-huh. Um, now, I don't say that just because he is a former Ottawa Senator. I say it because he's been a solid, complete player for many years now. 
Um, at the time of this recording, he has 12 goals and 27 assists, so that's 39 points in 31 games. That's top 10 NHL score, Mark Stone. Um, his 62 points in 58 games put him at an 88-point pace. If he dressed all 82 games, that was um, that was in trying trying to think. Um, that was like. Uh, it, it was 2018-19, I believe, because that was uh, short. No, 2017-18, I believe. Um, and, yeah, it was it was pretty ridiculous, that 88-point pace. And then since then, 78-79 points around there. That's what he's averaged over an 82-game season. But then this season comes along. His points, uh, his points over 82 games pace, 103 this year. Um, so... That that's that's just how good he's been offensively. But digging deeper into that, this guy has twelve goals on fifty three shots. That's a twenty two point six shooting percentage. Typically, fifteen to sixteen percent is what you would get from him on a normal year. Sixteen point nine percent in twenty sixteen seventeen was his career high. So, it would be around thirty one to thirty two goals this season if it was a full eighty two games. His career high is thirty three. Typically, his average would be around 20 to 26 goals. What's interesting about him around is that he almost got 200 shots in 2018-19. He's had a few years where he's in the 150 to 170 shot range. If the season ended and he played a full 82 games, he would have 140 shots, which would be the third lowest single season total of his career as an NHL player. And yet he would still be nearing his career high in goals for a season, which is how efficient, which goes to show you how efficient he's been in terms of scoring goals. Also, he has like seven game winners, only two power play goals. He has five more game winners than power play goals, which is crazy. Um, This season, 71 assists across 82 games. Forget points, 71 assists across 82 games. That is what he's on pace for. Um, and you would think that would come with more ice time, but no. And maybe it's because Vegas is trying to manage him for the playoffs with all the back-to-backs and stuff like that, but he's averaged 18 minutes and 19 seconds per game this season. Over the past two seasons, it's been around 19 minutes per game. There was even a couple of seasons in Ottawa where he averaged, I think, 20 minutes per game. But no, it's his ice time this year has gone down to 18-19 per game. When it comes to goal differentials, Vegas has scored 12 goals and surrendered a single tally with Mark Stone on the power play. On even strength, they've outscored teams 35 to 16 with Mark Stone on the ice. His 32 recorded takeaways, not surprisingly, among the league's best, not first, but uh, not far away from Mark Shifley's uh, 34, 35 takeaways for first place. Um, So Mark Stone's in the top five there. Uh, his 18 giveaways are fewer than Shifley, Crosby, and Dreisaitl, the only three guys with more takeaways than him so far this season. He has more takeaways than missed shots, by the way. 32 takeaways, 28 missed shots on the year, which is pretty impressive. In terms of special teams, he's logged 39 minutes and 27 seconds over 31 games, fourth on Vegas's list of forwards. Um, as a team, Vegas sits uh, sixth in penalty kill percentage, 84.3%. They have taken the second fewest minors in the entire NHL, which definitely helps their cause. Power play. Racked up 
90 minutes, 17 seconds in his first 31 games. That's second on Vegas's list of forwards. They're a top 10 team when it comes to goals scored. They are in the bottom 10, however, when it comes to most penalties drawn, as well as power play percentage. Max Pacioretty, though, tied for the team lead with four goals on the extra man, and he's all alone in first with 34 shots on the power play. Chandler Stevenson has eight power play shots. Those are the guys that Mark Stone has played with the most this season. To expand upon that, Chandler Stevenson is seventh in team scoring with seven goals, 13 assists in 30 games. That's a total of 20 points, average of 0.67 points per game. That would put him at 55 points in a normal season. His best NHL production, or or projection, I should say, was 33 points in 82 games. That was set last season. And last season, he had 11 goals and 26 points in 65 games. His average ice time has climbed from 14 minutes and 19 seconds last year to 17 minutes and 21 seconds this season. And he has been on a line with Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty, who historically speaking, has been a very well-known 30-goal scorer, can get 250-plus shots, sometimes even 300 shots a year. And his first year with the Vegas Golden Knights, Max Pacioretty had an okay season. He had 40 points in 66 games, and over those 66 games, he had 22 goal, goal every three games. Then Mark Stone becomes his line mate, and last year, Pacioretty rekindles his offense 32 goals 307 shots and 66 points in 71 games his 76 points or 82 game projection last year was the highest since the 2012-2013 season when he was on montreal this year over an 82 game pace max patch is projected to score 90 points and i can't tell you the amount of times i have seen Stone from Pacioretty and Stevenson, yeah. or Stevenson from Stone and Pacioretty, yada, 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 you get it. That line is basically involved in a lot more goals scored by Vegas than you might think. Power play, even strength, you name it. That line just seems to gel regardless of the situation. And in the month of March, especially that line has been lethal. All of those three guys that I just mentioned are top 50 scores in the league. Stevenson right at the bottom in 50th. With 11 points in 13 games, Max Pacioretty has um, 54 shots in the month of March, fifth overall in the league, 10 goals, 10 assists for 20 points. And then Mark Stone, the only guy who has had as many points as Mark Stone in the month of March, the guy that everyone's chasing, Connor McDavid. So all this to say, the impact that Mark Stone has offensively and defensively and the impact that he's had with his line mates is why I think he deserves serious consideration for the Art Trophy. And I think he will be, at the very least, a top three finalist for this award just because of how good that line has been. People talk about the chemistry between Jonathan Marchessault and Riley Smith. One of the reasons why that chemistry is still there is because Vegas has, I would argue, two legit number one lines. Yep. They have Stone, Pacioretty, and Stevenson. And then they have the Marchessault, Riley Smith, and whoever's on their line, like William Carlson perhaps um they they have two go-to lines that they can rely on for offense yep. and yes their bottom six can deliver but the top six is what really drives the boat and it's been the main reason why 
Vegas has been able to remain a consistent threat in their division every single year. So I would say the main threat for Connor McDavid is Mark Stone. However, I can't say that Mark Stone is going to win because Connor McDavid is, it's just child's play with this guy now. Like this guy is just absolutely toying with the league. Like Nikita Kucherov a couple of years ago when he won the award, he got like 128 points. So that wasn't even 130. This guy's projected for 145 points. Uh, If you take away his power play points, which is 23, still tied with Austin Matthews for 39 points. If you take away his goal, still a top five scorer in the yeah, NHL right crazy. now. Like, and and then there's this thing, well, Mark Stone makes Vegas better. If you look at Connor McDavid on the power play, the Oilers have scored 30 goals with him on the ice, and they've only given up two. Like, the Oilers, yeah, they might be a good team minus Connor McDavid. But I would say they're more of an average team. Like right now, they're twenty-one, thirteen, and one, or something like this, and they're probably going to make the playoffs in that run and gun North Division. But imagine without Connor McDavid, they're probably fighting for that fourth and final playoff spot. Right. Like this guy is the definition of a game changer. He's proven it. His Rookie season, he was projected to get 87 points. His point projection just increases every single year. It 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 just seems that you you don't think he could get any better, and then he does. Yep. So I I don't I I think there are some guys that could challenge Connor McDavid. I don't think there are guys that can beat him though. Like this is his award to question. Um. So I think um for <laughs> you said this whole thing about Mark Stone and. His line. Uh, first off, I will say that you made more of a case that the line should win Hart Trophy and not Mark Stone. Um, and secondly, I think Mark Stone will definitely get Selkie votes um, and not necessarily Hart votes because I think Mark Stone is much better defensively than all these other guys, um, and he, he has a better case for that too. Um, mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, it was just funny that you were you were mentioning that specific line like. It's like, there's that. But I will agree, I think that, like, the thing that Mark Stone has that not, um, that, like, Connor McDavid doesn't have is the fact that, um, you know, Connor McDavid's on a pretty good team as well. Oh, I mean, I mean, I guess Vegas is a good team, of course. But, like, the fact that McDavid has Dreisaitl and that those kind of cancel each other out. So... Um, you can't really say that, like, if you took McDavid out of the lineup, would Edmonton still be in the playoffs? They probably, yeah, they probably might be because of Dreisaitl. So, um, whereas if you took Mark Stone out, there, there's probably a chance that Vegas might not make it, even though Pacioretty's pretty good and March or so is pretty good. Um, but, but yeah, there's a chance that Mark Stone wouldn't be. Um, another thing is that we talked about this before as well, but, there is something about this Canadian division still. Uh, the fact that like yeah. the top six guys uh, in the terms of points are all on Canadian teams. Um, it's McDavid, Drysaddle, Shifley, Matthews, and Marner. Um, so, so just the fact that like it seems like the Canadian division in particular um, just scores a lot more than than all the other ones also gives them. An interesting comparison tool, and we'll talk about that in the future, I bet. But, um, 
there is that dynamic as well as like the fact that because the Canadian division just in general scores more that like how do you compare that to like Chicago how do you compare that to Vegas how do you compare that to Pittsburgh Colorado um Florida like I'm just just going down the list of all these point getters so um so yeah it's uh so it's hard to to really gauge that just from a award standpoint um, it's almost like, like, I, I know CHL does this as well. It's like, they should do like the best player of each division because they're all playing one team against each other, like an OHL player of the year, a WHL player of the year kind of thing. But, um, but yeah, maybe, maybe not. We'll see. Um, let's go. Yeah, to- I, I, the reason, the reason I mentioned the Mark Stone stuff is because yeah, Chandler Stevenson and Max Patrick are good players, but they're even better with with Mark Stone right no and and that's fair I just I just feel like when looking at the previous winners like guys like Panarin and McKinnon were like night and day like bigger contributors to their team than the likes of like Nikita Kucherov and Leon Dreisaitl and they meant more yet they didn't win the hard trophy Kucherov and Dreisaitl did and I figure that's why McDavid's gonna win because the same theory applies like he's producing too much to not win the hard trophy I, I, I still would give him the Selkie instead of the heart. Uh, oh, yeah. No, Mark Stone is 1,000% winning the Selkie. Yeah. Like, the way that he's playing. Like, I'm sorry, Patrice Bergeron. I'm sorry, Sean Couturier. That, that, that award is definitely going to Mark Stone, whether he wins the heart trophy or not. Like, he's, he's just too good. Uh, let's go to the Calder um, nom, noms here. So, since I went first for the um, heart trophy, you can go first here for the Calder. So before I do get to my nominee, um, what really strikes me about this list is the amount of goaltenders. In Ottawa, yeah. Philip Gustafson and Joey Decord have shown signs that they can be future goalies in this league. Uh, Vitek Vanacek has been good for the Capitals, even though there were a few rough patches uh, here and there. Overall, he's been pretty good for them. Capo uh, Kakinen in Minnesota, he had an unreal win streak recently of uh, the Tandem with him and Cam Talbot has been a blessing for that squad. Uh, Kevin Lankinen, like I said earlier, has given Chicago a ray of hope. Perhaps he could be their future number one solution moving forward. In Carolina, James Reimer and Peter Morazic have played well, but since Morazic went down to injury, Alex Nedeljkovic all of a sudden has emerged as such a good goalie for them as, as I felt that he could be to the point where one of Morazic and Reimer could be dealt at the deadline because yeah. Nedeljkovic has played so well. Yeah. And the organization has so much faith in him. And you also have the likes of Ilya Sorokin with the Islanders, Jake Ettinger in Dallas, and Igor Shishurkin, as he's shown in parts of last year and this year, um, he can be a future elite goalie as well. But in terms of like overall game changers, I would say there's no one that really touches the measuring stick that Kirill Kaprizov has brought to the table. Like in his first 32 NHL games, Dala Dala Bill Kirill, as they call him, has 27 points in uh, 32 games, 11 goals, 16 assists. Only a pair of power play points, this guy. Partly because Minnesota's power play is the worst in the league and not even 10%. But still, the fact that he was able to do that much damage and even strength tells you how special a player he is, the way that he can read plays, even at 23 years of age, soon to be 24 years of age. 
He's averaging 18 minutes, four seconds per game. In that time, he's recorded 80 shots. So that means 13.8 shooting percentage, pretty good for a rookie. Uh, in a normal campaign, that would mean he has 28 goals, 41 assists for 69 points. Nice. Along with 205 shots on goal. Played a fair bit with Zach Parise during the first quarter of the year. Uh, during that time, in 11 games, Parise had five points. Since then, Kaprizov's most common line mate has been Matt Zuccarello. Zuccarello uh, missed time due to injury in the first quarter. Second quarter, plays in 14 games, gets 17 points, and really seemed to gel with Kaprizov as his line mate. And we haven't seen that type of offensive production from the Norwegian forward in quite some time. So Kaprizov's played a big role in his resurgence. You also have Victor Ask, who all of a sudden is putting up some points here and there. Um, so that's good, too. And he's played a bit on Kirill's line as well. Uh, in terms of penalties drawn, Kirill has drawn 15 penalties, taken just five. So that's a differential of plus 10. Pretty good. Uh, he's seen a whopping total of 112 minutes and 30 seconds on the power play. No other rookie so far has recorded at least 100 minutes, but Tim Stutzler will likely change that later this week. He's not far off from 100 minutes on the power play. Um, but overall, per game, Kaprizov has averaged 331 per game with the extra man. I know he didn't play NHL hockey before this, and a lot of people are arguing, well, he was a star in Russia, and he's too old to be concerned for the Calder Trophy. Even then, guys like Nikita Gusev, guys like Adam Chipachev, have shown us that the NHL transition isn't always that easy do what he did in the first 32 games on a team where they trade away Eric Stahl, trade away um uh well they got Marcus Johansson so they they they've um he, he's still there but uh they trade away Eric Stahl, they trade away Jason Zucker, that's who I was blanking on. Right. Basically for the most part parting ways with Devin Dubnik, parting ways with Ryan Donato there was a lot of change in such a short period of time. You didn't really know what this team was going to be, especially with their goaltending. Even defensively, they were good, but um, you have Jared Spurgeon entering the prime of his career, Ryan Suter already in the prime of his career. This this team overall was such a wild card, and here they are wild. <laughs> with, with 21 wins and actual divisional threats. Like, I don't know if they're as good as st louis on paper or as good as colorado or as good as vegas but they're right in the thick of it and they're actually giving these teams a run for their money yep. so the impact that he has had in such a short period of time is definitely big enough to not only warrant a conversation but to say that he's the best rookie out of this class period like jason yep. robertson might have 20 points in 25 games 26. but consistency in, in terms of like the vision that he's shown on the ice, the way he can set up guys, the poise that he's shown, I don't think there's any better first year player than Kaprizov right now. He's he's just that good. Yeah, I <laughs> I I do want to take some of your points. Um, it's um, it is impossible for me to not pick Kaprizov. He's been as good as hyped, uh, even better. I think the thing that's the most interesting about Kaprizov in particular, is like, Minnesota used to be so boring to watch. It's like, oh, okay, like, who do they really have? It's like, not to knock, like, 
Zach Parise, he's a pretty uh, consistent guy. Same with Ryan Suter and and all that stuff. But like they they've always been like a pretty boring team. But like when you add in Kaprizov, it seems like everyone on Twitter is like following them. Like I there's even like a Bruins account um, who's like pretty much more of a Wild fan than a Bruins fan, which is just hilarious because, um, well, first off, I don't know if you know this, Steve, but in 2015, in the fifth round, the Bruins traded uh, uh, that fifth round pick uh, to the Wild, and I forget who it was for, anything like that, but that pick ended up being Kirill Kaprizov. However, like as a Bruins fan, I don't feel so bad about it, just considering that, like, first off, this was the same draft that uh, the Bruins botched those uh, three first-round picks. But this one is, like, it's very clear that Kaprizov should have been, like, in the fir- like taken in the first round, if not in the top ten. Um, obviously, you would take McDavid and Eichel still, but, like, he's definitely third overall in, in that draft. So, um, so it, it's, it's very clear that, like, I think the most impressive thing about Kaprizov it's not, like, I could talk about his point totals, I could talk about um, his defense and stuff, but, like, it's it's just unfair that he's considered a rookie, because he's been playing in the KHL at this level for a long time now. It's it's not just this season. Like, if you've been following him in the KHL, you're, this isn't a surprise that he's been um, able to figure out the NHL so quickly. Um, but, yeah, I think the most impressive thing is the fact that, like, he's just one player who's who's making the Minnesota Wild an exciting team to watch, and they're making them good. So so I think that's that's good there. Um, as for honorable mentions, I do want to, like you, you kind of alluded to it before, but a lot of goaltenders are definitely um, in contention here. I think the biggest one I would have, the one that I would give it to is probably Alex Nedeljkovic, uh, simply because he is, like, making... Um, so first off, he's like fourth um, in the league in terms of uh, goals against average. Um, although I guess because he's only playing 12 games, whereas like all the other ones that when we talk about the Vezina, like they've been playing like 27 or 28 or even 24 games. So there's a little bit of a difference there, but I think that that part of it is, is pretty impressive. Um, and like even in save percentage, he has like a 930 save percentage. Only Grubauer and Vasilevsky are doing better than him on that regard. I mean, obviously they've been playing more games than him, but even still, like if he can even get it to like a nine twenty-five, that would be really good for a rookie. And as you mentioned, like he's making like I think beforehand, like Carolina has always had like they've they've always had good defense, they've always had good forwards, but uh, the thing that like that doesn't like that makes them on a lower level from places like Tampa or Colorado or um, even Vegas um, is the fact that they don't have goaltending. Um, and, and now they do. And I am interested to see what, what they do when Peter Morasic gets back because, um, cause like last time, if, if you don't remember, Nedeljkovic was uh, waived and no one picked him up. Literally no one picked him up, uh, which is insane to me. Like I know, like we we didn't expect this, but he had pretty decent numbers in the AHL. Literally, no one picked him up, and that's that's the most craziest thing maybe in this season. Not not this whole like 
the the whole pandemic. But the, literally, no one picked. He was put on waivers, and no one picked him up. That that's just insane. Just letting that settle in for for a little bit. Um, but um, but yeah. So, anyways, I am curious what they're gonna do when Morazic gets back because I guess they could hold three goalies, but then that presents a bunch of other problems. Like what defense or what forward do you send back then on waivers or whatnot? But they're gonna have to trade James Reimer or Peter Morazic because there's no chance they're gonna trade Alex Nedeljkovic because it seems like he's the real deal. Um, and also, I would also t- do mentions to uh, Kevin Lankinen, although I think like he's kind of cooled off a little bit, but there was worry. Is I we, we talked about this a lot. It's like a big reason why so many people were taking Chicago out of contention even was the fact that they didn't have a goalie and now they have Kevin Lincoln in, but we did a whole episode about him. Um, it does seem like he's cooling down a little bit, so maybe that will be negatively affected. So he might still get nominated, but he might not be. I don't know. Um, also, another reason why Minnesota has been so good is Capo Kakinen, so I wanted to mention him. And then lastly, I do want to mention a couple skaters um, on on this list. Jason Robertson is one. Um, I kind of have like a personal atten- uh, connection purely because I like I drafted him in one of my uh, cap leagues this year, and I'm really excited about him. And I picked him up in like a third round in a 20 team league, so like I I picked him up in like and he's like. He's pretty good right now. Oh, no. Sorry. It was the fourth round, not the third round. Um, so, so even more impressive that he's like, he's been doing well um, even there. But yeah, obviously, I don't I don't expect him to get nominated. But um, I hope that he gets at least some mention, maybe fourth or something like that. Uh, Tim Stutzla and Josh Norris have been pretty good, as, as Steve would attest to. Um, I also want to give a shout out to Oliver Wallstrom. I'm not sure how he's doing this, but he has uh, 16 points in 28 games, which is decent, obviously. That's like a .57 points per game. But if you look at his time on ice, on average, it's like 12 minutes on ice. Uh, so, so 16 points in 28 games. So like a half point per game with not very much ice time is like extremely impressive. And I am curious what's going to happen when he does get more ice time inevitably if it's this season or next season. That's um, like Brian Gibbons with the Senators esque. Yeah, yeah, and so like on the fact that he doesn't he doesn't even have too much ice time, which is fine. But like, um, but I am like that that will probably hurt his case in getting Calder noms just because of the fact that he doesn't have um, a ton of ice time usually. Um, but yeah, he has been pretty impressive still. Um, yeah, like I, I just getting back to the Carolina Hurricanes for a second, and it it'll probably be brought up at the trade deadline or or like before then. Like they have enough depth on forwards, they have enough depth on defense, they have enough depth in goal, they have a lot of yep. talented prospects. They could swing for the fences and pull off a blockbuster. Like yep. they honestly could. I know Dougie Hamilton's a pending um, UFA, and they're gonna want to keep him and there's obviously Sveshnikov to extend as well um so I don't know if they want to invest like in a long-term solution uh, in a trade but like they have the people like really pull off a massive blockbuster and like bring their team to the next level like I I they they have everything to to make a power move like that 
Um, and it definitely helps that a young guy like Nedeljkovic, his performance has made this possible because there's just like an embarrassment of riches on that roster already. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, it's interesting too, like how like how much a difference, like uh, one goaltender can make because I, that was the thing that was plaguing the Blues for so long, and, and I mean now it seems like Jake Allen is better than Jordan Bennington at this point, but. Um, but yeah, there was a, like, that was a big thing with them is that they have the defense, they have the forwards, but they don't have the goalie. And then all of a sudden Bennington gets in and all you need is a couple of hot starts and, and you're golden, um, for a while. So, so there's that. Um, let's go to the Norse. Um, so since you did the Calder first, I'll do this one first. Um, yeah. the, uh, I think I'm going to give this one to Victor Hedman. Um, I know it's kind of like the obvious pick here, but I mean, I guess you could make a case for Tyson Berry and maybe Adam Fox, which I feel like you're going to talk about Adam Fox, but, um, but yeah, I think it's, it's tough for me to not, um, not pick Victor Hedman. I think, well, first off, he's leading, um, the league, um, in defensemen for points as well, but like, even still, it's like 33 points in 34 games. He's not in the Canadian division like uh, Tyson Berry is or uh, Quinn Hughes is or uh, Jeff Petrie is. So so he has that to his advantage that he's doing this on like a on a in a division that's not so offensive heavy. But the fact that like um, for Tampa they still are you know they don't have Nikita Kucherov. They don't they're not as strong as they have been in the past. Um, in that regard, uh, of course, they still have Steven Stamkos. They still have Braden Point, of course, um, Andre Palat. But, like, he's, you know, Victor Edmonds leading that team in points right now uh, with 33 points in 34 games. And Steven Stamkos has uh, 31 points in 32 games. And Andre Palat has 31 points in 34 games. So, so they're still, like, they still have, like, you know, they're still a pretty good team, obviously. But, um, it seems like Victor Hedman is the guy that stirs the drink, and I think that's why he gets the nomination there. Um, I'm go- also going to do an honorable mention for a, an homer alert here. Um, I'm going to say a mention of uh, Charlie McAvoy, I think, deserves some some praise here as well. I hope he gets nominations. I, I do see them on my timeline of like McAvoy for Norris, but... I feel like it's mostly because I follow a lot of uh, Bruins fans, so maybe that's the case. But, but yeah, so the fact that uh, Charlie McAvoy, uh, he has 20 points in 30 games. Um, I think the thing that, that there is a knock on him in the fact that, like, even without Tory Krug um, and Zdeno Char, which I think is a big reason why I feel like he should get nominations, is, like, this defensive core, much like, you know, Kevin Lincoln in, in Chicago and, and all that stuff is we weren't sure about what the defense is going to be like without Krug and Chara. So that was a big effect of it, but it seems like with that, with McAvoy in the lineup, um, you know, he's making, like, he has a large shoes to fill because he has to replace both Krug and Chara almost at the same time. Because they didn't, you know, the Bruins didn't make another acquisition to get another defenseman. So, so the fact that like they have McAvoy there, 
Um, and he's, you know, he's doing really well, um, with that, with the increased role. Um, he has 20 points in 30 games, like I mentioned, and he has 24 minutes of ice time on average, which is insane to me. I think there was like one night where he had like 27 minutes on ice, which is, uh, insane to me. It's like Thomas Shabbat, which is, uh, Steve's favorite stat of how much time on ice yeah, you know Thomas Shabbat has. You know it. <laughs> So, so the, just the fact that he's been put on all the time on ice, but I think a big reason why he might not get as many nominations as I hope he does is the fact that um, he's still on, he's still not on the power play one, and I think that's like, you know, that's like a tell of like, well, if you're not the best defenseman, if you're not like even the most relied upon person on the power play or something like that. Um, and to that, I think it's kind of ludicrous because, like, you know, first off, Matthew Grizzlick is pretty good on the power play, so um, it's, it's tough to complain about that. And, like, you know, and also Grizzlick's been injured and McAvoy's been able to uh, step up in, in that role, and it's also big reasons why his point totals like that as well. But on the other hand, like, the fact that he's, he, he's on the ice for, like, a majority of the time, even if he's not on the power on the first power play, like that's even more impressive that he's not even playing with Bergeron, Pasternak, and Marchand for most of the power play, and he's still like doing really, really well with that. So it's it's like if you do put him, if you do give him some power play time, like you're like he's gonna be like four, thirty minutes of ice time on average. It's just. That and that's that's insane. So yeah, we're like Jason yeah. Berry gets right. all the power play time in the world with McDavid yeah. and Drysdale and just lights it up. Yeah. So so I will say that does hurt him. Um, just from a Norris perspective and like an outsider perspective. So I get that, but at the same time, it's just like the fact that he's doing literally everything else is, um, it's pretty crazy. So it's like he deserves it, but uh, I don't I don't even think he's gonna get nominated. Where do you think he fits in? Do you think he'll be like top five, top ten? Um, yeah, I think. Um, well, if he continues to be this consistent with the points, I think he'll he'll be. Um, yeah, I don't think he's gonna get top three. Um, but I think he could I get top five. I definitely think at the very least he makes a case top five. Yeah, I think top five is is achievable for him for sure. But I, I'd be happy if he gets top three. I don't expect him to win. Um. It's also part of the reason why I hope he catches Victor Hedman, but I don't think that's going to happen um, because then it's like a certified that he'll at least get nominated. But um, but yeah, I don't I don't think he's going to get um, nominated. But I would say top five for sure. Yeah, the sure bet I think for me would be Victor Hedman, and there's also John Carlson as yep. well. But Roman Yossi hasn't really been as dominant. I definitely think. McAvoy fits in the top 10 and there are a lot of good defensemen that you could put in the top 10. Like, I don't think I could even rank the three to 10. Like it's, yep. it's, 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 a, it's basically separated by like a millimeter or two. Yeah. It's pretty like, tight. That's true. You have like Charlie McAvoy. There's also Shea Theodore in Vegas where, yeah, they have Petrangelo, but he's missed some time and yep. he hasn't missed a beat. He's played some of his best hockey even though the Canucks defense hasn't been that great, Quinn Hughes has yep. been an offensive force for them. You also have Neil Pionk, Doug, 
Houston, who had a massive point streak for the Hurricanes recently. All these guys could be in the conversation. Jeff Petrie having a great year for Montreal, too. Yep. Um, by far and away the best in his career. So, like, there are a lot of different ways you could go with this for sure. Yep. Um, so I, I definitely think that McAvoy is definitely in the running for sure. Um, Jacob Chikrin, too. Yeah, Jacob Chikrin, too. Quietly a beast for the Arizona yeah. Coyotes, too. Uh, none of them are my pick. My pick, uh, you mentioned him, Brett, Adam Fox of the Rangers. I knew it. Um, I called it. <laughs> yeah, like Tyson Berry, faced a lot of power play time. We'll get to that in a sec. Um, I, 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 I can appreciate what Tyson Berry has done, but he was on a team with like John Tavares and Austin Matthews. It just didn't really work out for him in Toronto last year. Mitch Marner, William Nylander as well. Um, then he goes to Edmonton with, with Dreisaitl and McDavid, and he's just piling up the points. He's top three in scoring for defensemen right now. And then you also have Drew Doughty in the mix um, as well, having a resurgence of his own. Um, but I think when it comes to who's had to deal with the most, I think Adam Fox is right up there. Um, obviously, the Rangers not having Panarin at the forefront to generate plays for one to two weeks, uh, I would say it affected their offense a fair bit. Uh, this season, when you don't think about the past five to ten games, uh, Zibanejad struggled to score goals, and so did Capocacco, so did Alexis Lafreniere. Um, they didn't have a healthy Igor Shishurkin for a while. Uh, Georgiev was struggling to the point where for span of three to four, maybe five games, they were riding Keith Kincaid, who has spent the past year or two in the minors. Um, and yet this team is back in contention um, simply because of guys like Adam Fox. He, on the season, he has 27 points in 32 games, 67 points over a full 82 games. That's just his second year of existence as a player. He was on track for 49 points, ended up with 42 and 70 games. And last year, he just averaged under 19 minutes a game. 18 minutes, 54 seconds to be precise. This year, though, it's gone from 18.54 to a whopping 24.07 per game. And that's based on a few factors. First of all, uh, Tony D'Angelo basically kind of digging his way out of the Rangers and putting himself in a bad spot with the organization where he's just buried in the minors now. Uh, he had a lot of points last year. He wasn't the most complete defenseman, but he had a lot of points. Jacob Truba has been injured this year, and he has also struggled when he's played. And then Jack Johnson was placed on waivers. You also have guys like Keandre Miller who have potential, but going to the season, you didn't know exactly how good they would be. So despite a lot of this uncertainty, Adam Fox has managed to thrive in these situations. Uh, his average ice time per game, as mentioned, 24 minutes, 7 seconds per game. 16th overall in the league amongst defensemen. Right now, he is on a six-game point streak where he has one goal and 11 assists. That includes a five or six game against the Flyers last week. By the way, Mika Zibanejad, again, three goals, three assists um, for another six points and a natural hat-trick against the Flyers. Adam Fox was a big part of that game, of that Mika Zibanejad game. Um, a few games prior, I think he had like 28 minutes um, so again, not afraid, uh, to play like a McAvoy or a Shabbat where you put all the minutes on him and right. you, you place all your bets on Adam Fox. Um, and then on Saturday, 
the couple days after the big five assist game, you saw his defensive abilities on display. Um, the Rangers, I believe it was the final minute of the third period, down by a goal. Goalie pulled, says Jurkins on the bench. Philly has a few cracks at the empty net. And Adam Fox turns into a goalie for a span of five to ten seconds and, like, blocks two or three shots to keep the game alive and give his team a chance to tie it late. Those are the type of plays that you want to see out of a Norris Trophy winning defenseman. Yeah. And in terms of power play time, as I mentioned, he's also logged a lot of minutes, 131 minutes and 42 seconds. Only four NHL defensemen have more ice time on the power play this season. Those guys being Quinn Hughes, Keith Yandel, Tyson Berry, and Aaron Eckblad. His stats during those situations are also pretty good. Adam Fox has 16 power play points. The only guy with more power play points, as we mentioned, Victor Hedman. Uh, Adam Fox also six. Um, he also sits eighth amongst defenders in primary power play assists with six, and his eight secondary primary. Uh, sorry, his eight secondary power play helpers are uh, all alone in first place amongst all NHL defensemen. I definitely think this race is going to change some spots and. Adam Fox might not even be in the top five. I definitely think he's in the top 10. Um, it's not a slam dunk choice to win, but based on the way he's played, if the Rangers continue to ride this wave, um, there's no arguing why he can't be in at least um, the top three. Yep. I, I think Adam Fox has, has elevated his game to the point where we can talk about him being a Norris Trophy defenseman today, not just down the road today. Yeah, you do have, well, first off, uh, Adam Fox is on a seven-game point streak, so that's that's also pretty impressive, and I believe he had two assists today, and I believe that puts him right now, I, I mean, obviously Victor Hedman hasn't played just yet, but I believe if this is right, let me just double-check one second. Um, okay, so Adam Fox is still third in points among defensemen. Um, but, um, but yeah, so, so there's, there's that, but, um, yeah, and I, I think you also made a good point about, like, the fact that, like, yeah, Tyson Berry has, uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl to go to, um, and, um, and, you know, Victor Hedman has Stamkos and Braden Point and Andre Pilat to go to, but, like, Adam Fox pretty much just has Panarin. And Panarin was out for a month, so uh, so it is impressive that he's still doing this even when he what when he was without Adam uh, without Panarin. So it's um, it's it's nice that he's doing this, and like I feel like the Rangers wouldn't even be close to a playoff picture if um, if Adam Fox wasn't on the team. So he's been pretty good. Um, that's a good choice there as well. Um, all right, let's go to goaltenders here. Um, Vezina, oh, who's your Vezina pick? Yes, yeah, so this is another close race to call, and I also think it's going to change. Um, I've really been impressed with Thatcher Demko, just a rock-solid um, yep. wall for the Canucks. Um, definitely solidify himself as the goalie of the present, not just the future. Um, there's the resurgence of Marc-Andre Fleury. Um, you also have Connor Hellebuck doing his thing for the Jets. Uh, Kakinen and Lankinen, I think, would definitely get Vezina votes today. Drew Bauer with Colorado um, has been asked to play a lot with on the shelf, and he's responded pretty well to the workload so far. And then, of course, you have 
Andre Vasilevsky, um, who prior to back-to-back losses uh, forgot how to lose for a good yeah. couple of weeks. Um, I would say right now the winner is Flurry. Uh, in six of his 24 outings, he's been charged with four goals against or more. In nine of those 24 games, three goals or more. So in the remaining 15 of those 24 outings, two goals or fewer got past him. He also has four shutouts, by the way, and he's doing this in his mid-30s. He's been able to successfully turn back the clock on so many occasions and make the big saves when called upon. Uh, Robin Leonard, great goalie, but he's missed time due to a concussion. Um, Guys backing up Fleury while Leonard was out, Oscar Dansk and Logan Thompson. So Fleury hasn't really had that much time to rest. There were times actually where he was playing both sets of back-to-backs and he was still able to get results. Again, I do expect this to change because if you look at his recent track record, he's been charged with four-plus goals on five occasions in the month of March alone. Uh, You also have Robin Leonard back in the fold, so I think more likely down the road he's going to get starts, um, which could take away chances of uh, Flurry padding to his stats. I think it'll probably be a 50-50 split moving forward in terms of how the stars will be spread out, especially in back-to-back scenarios. And I still think Flurry will be a top 10 vote getter for the Vezina, but I, I don't think he's going to win. Um, so he's, he's, he's my temporary winner of the award midway through, I'd say he wins, hmm. but I definitely don't think if we talk about this in a couple of months, he'll be the winner. I think someone like Demko or Hellebuck or Vasilevsky get it mostly because Demko and Hellebuck they don't have the defense that guys like Grubauer yep. have to deal with, like Vasilevsky have to deal with. Um, but Vasilevsky has that reputation where I, I think he'll be a top three choice there. Yep. Um, but but yeah, I, I, I'm definitely pleased with Fleury's overall game. I just don't think it's going to be enough to win that award at the end of the day. It's enough to win the midseason, but um, I, I, I think with a healthy Robin Leonard, um, his chances are slowly going to shrink pretty soon. Yeah, so the interesting thing about having this be like a condensed schedule and stuff is the fact that goaltenders don't play as often as usual. So, like, you know, the mo- the goalie that has played the most is Philip Grubauer um, with 28 games. But, like, you know, that's, there's, like, you know, most teams have played, like, 30 games or something like that. So it's not um, even that... Um, that crazy um so um but yeah so that that's interesting there's only like a couple of them have that have played a majority of the games uh like Grubauer, Hellebuck as you mentioned, Vasilevsky, Bennington, um even Thatcher Demko and uh Corpusalo is another one too so um so there's a few of them uh to me I feel like it's a two uh goalie race um and it's not even close um it's between Vasilevsky and Grubauer um, and, and yeah, I know you alluded to the met, the mention that like Grubauer has like Colorado defense that are pretty good in their own right. And obviously I, I get that, but, um, I think I would give it to Grubauer at this moment. If the season were to end today, I would give it to Grubauer, um, for, for simply because he is leading the, the league in, um, in GAA, save percentage as well. He has a 930 save percentage, although I guess uh, Vasilevsky also has a 930. Um, but he's also beating 
uh, Vasilevsky at a 1.73. Um, I think the other thing that that's interesting about Grubauer um, and Colorado in general is the fact that like um, Colorado had to put in, um, you know, like the they were losing 4-1 to the Ducks. I know this is one instance, but uh, Hunter Miska has been terrible all year. Um, and to the point where like they were about to lose to the Ducks, which are which is one of the worst teams in the league. Although they are getting better, but um, I'm allowed to say that I'm a fan of the Ducks. <laughs> um, they, uh, but, but then you know, because Hunter Miska has been terrible. He's been like AHL level goalie, um, and um, and then when they put in Grubauer, all of a sudden the Colorado like starts scoring goals, and then they win the game. And, like, it, it, it happened, oh, I mean, it didn't really happen again, but, like, they, they even go on to get Jonas Johansson from Buffalo, even though he, has, he hasn't had a good track record. And Jonas Johansson didn't do much better than Hunter Miska at first. So, it's like, I think the interesting thing is that's more of a testament to how good Grubauer has been uh, compared to, um, to uh, like, you know, Hunter Miska and stuff. It's... Like, you know, not when Curtis McElhaney, he doesn't really play that often, but at least you can, like, um, you you can trust him. You can you can expect him to still be in the game. Whereas, like, when Hunter Miska's there, or when uh, Jonas Johansson is in, your Colorado's going to be down by quite a bit. And luckily enough, they have McKinnon, Landeskog, and Rantanen, um, and now Burakovsky, and Nazem Kadri, and all those, and Kael McCarr, Sam Gerrard, all those guys, so they're a really good team, but um, so they can make up for it on the offensive side of things. But the fact that they have Grubauer, who plays most of their games, is another reason why they're so dominant. To add to that point as well, uh, the Winnipeg Jets, uh, Lauren Brassois, minus yep. the right. nightmarish outing against Calgary yeah. on Saturday, he's also been pretty good for the Jets. Yep. So even when Hellebuck's not playing, the Jets are getting fairly good goaltending as well true and i think like the reason why i i kind of um i i i mean hellebuck's been good i love hellebuck too but um i think the the reason why i i'm hesitant to put hellebuck in is like just the fact that it is the canadian division and it's hard to compare especially goalies that and it's a it's not like really like if this was a normal year i might be more lenient to hellebuck because like i know he is a good goalie obviously uh but um, but I feel like just the fact that he is in the Canadian division kind of hurts him because, I mean, his stats are still impressive, but it's not as impressive as like Vasilevsky's or Grubauer's are. I um, mean, same with Demko. So, um, mm-hmm. as good as they've been, I, I still want to see them play all these other teams and it might be even fairer for them, but I think it's just so big of a disadvantage for them just for the division that they play in. Um, also interested to see how Kakinen and Lankinen yep. fit into the final ballots as well. And, and Nadelkovich too. And Nadelkovich yeah, is another one. Maybe even wow. Yeah. yeah. Imagine them and the Vezina running. Yeah, yeah. I think the thing that knocks Nadelkovich at least is the fact that he hasn't played as many games as Grubauer and Vasilevsky has, because James Reimer has still played a couple of games here and there. So I think there is maybe. Um, and I think, like, the interesting thing about Nadelkovich that we haven't even mentioned yet is, like, I think there's, like, a threshold for Nadelkovich has to play a certain amount of games in order yes. for him to be a UFA uh, next year. Um, 
And I mean, I guess it's like, you know, if he's, if he's continuing to win games and playing this well, I guess Carolina doesn't care about that, but like he, he could be, you know, if they manage their time, right, they might have to um, not play him as much if they want to keep him for further years and, you know, keep him at a, at a good rate because he's going to get a lot of more money if he's on the open market. Um, as like in Carolina could still sign him obviously, but, um, but it, it, it would be a different story if he's, um, if he's considered a UFA versus an RFA. I don't know why it is that way. I guess it's just because of age, but, um, but yeah, I'm not sure why he's considered a UFA if he plays a certain amount of games. It's kind of unusual, but, um, that's just his situation at the moment. Um, yeah. but yeah, I, I think there's that, that also hurts him as well. Um, and I, I guess I also want to say, I think the third person will probably be Mark andre Fleury. He's been really good. The interesting thing about, like, Robin Leonard is that he's been injured for most of the season anyways, but even when he's been in, he hasn't been so great either. So Mark andre Fleury has been pretty good. It's kind of funny. He went from, like, being trade bait to being, like, an actually, like, uh, a solid goalie that... Uh, that Vegas can rely on. So I, I would give him credit as well. Um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, so that would be probably my third choice. Um, if I had to, um, yeah. all right, let's go to the Jack Adams here. We're almost done here. I know. I think that this has been a pretty long episode, but, um, so, so usually for Jack Adams, um, it's been this way for a long time. I think like, um, it's usually just, awarded to like the team that surprised people the most. Um, and it's not necessarily always like the best team or the best coach. Um, and if it was the best coach, I would probably give it to John Cooper. Um, but that's not how they award it. Uh, if you look at the history of this award. So, um, so the, I would give it to drum roll, please. Um, (laughs) I, Jeremy Calton, um, I think I I would give it to him. I think the, um, as I mentioned when I was talking about Patrick Kane, the thing that, like, you know, during the offseason, they were, they were talking about the fact that, um, like, like they traded uh, Corey Crawford, and I mean, he ended up retiring anyway, so that wasn't a big deal. They ended up trading... Um, uh, Brandon Saad to Colorado and they get back Nikita Zadorov and I mean Zadorov hasn't been great but neither has um, what's his face uh, neither has I mean I guess Brandon Saad's been pretty decent actually but um, but like the fact that um, this team has been really good um, you know we weren't sure what their goalie tending was going to be and all of a sudden um all of a sudden, it, uh, Kevin Lincoln steps in and does it well. Um, and even, like, when Malcolm Subban has played, even though it's been nine games, it's, like, decent enough. Like, 903 is serviceable. Um, uh, 903 save percentage, sorry. Um, he's also, like, you know, he's managed to bring back Alex DeBrincat, um, who's, like, s- stepped up again. Uh, Dominic Kubelik has been pretty good, and he's shown what he can do in the bubble of the playoffs. Um, he's, he's getting a lot of like Matthias Janmark and Pew Seward, Pew Suter as well. Um, which is like, you know, 
two guys that like I, I mentioned him as being a dark horse um, Calder guy, but like I didn't really expect <laughs> too much out of him. I was just gonna mention him because I thought there was a chance that he could do something, but um, but yeah, he's been pretty good too, Pew Suter. Um, and then like you know he's gotten out of like Adam Bogfist has had his moments, Philip Kershev has had his moments. Uh, um, you know it's he's getting a lot out of these guys that we all thought were going to be in the bottom to the point where like the Chicago Blackhawks even mentioned in the offseason that they were rebuilding. They don't have Kirby Doc. They don't have Jonathan Taze as well, which is also impressive that they don't have like their captain in in the in the lineup. So, yeah, the fact that he's even, I mean, the, the Blackhawks may, you know, end up not making the playoffs, which is fine, but I think we were all expecting them to be, like, at this Ottawa Senators, Detroit Red Wings type level, um, but they're not at that point. They're kind of in the middle tier, and that's acceptable. I think the only way that Jeremy Colton might not get this award is the fact that the Blackhawks may not make the playoffs by the end of the season. So if the, if the, I will say that if Colton, if the Blackhawks don't make the playoffs and I don't think he'll win, but, um, but if they do, then, then I think he's in, uh, he's got it for sure. Um, and, uh, the other honorable mention, and I kind of alluded to this as well, but, um, but I, I think Dean Evison as well from the Minnesota wild. Um, I think, yeah, Kaprizov and Kakanen, have been impressive for sure, but um, you know there was a lot of holes in Minnesota Wild, and there were another team that we all thought that they were going to be rebuilding and be at the bottom of the tier, even with Caprice up there. And the fact that he's able to make Zuccarella into like a relevant player now, all of a sudden, Jordan Greenway has stepped up, Marcus Foligno, um, like all Joel Eriksson Ek. They've all been in the league for the past couple uh, of seasons, and they, they're all having career years. So I think there is something to the fact that like he's able to get something out of this team. And again, uh, along the same lines, they I think they'll probably make the playoffs because the West division isn't that great uh, compared to the Central. But um, I, will, I will also mention that if Minnesota doesn't make the playoffs, then I don't think um, he'll be nominated. But... I think he does deserve credit as well. Yeah, so um, there there are quite a few candidates, honestly, um, that you could choose from. Barry Trotz with the Islanders, who's had success. Uh, Jared Bednar, uh, the coach of the Avs, who have been good for a couple of years now. Same with Rob Brindamore in Carolina. Uh, Mike Sullivan in Pittsburgh. Joel Quenville in Florida. John Cooper, obviously, in Tampa. Um, honestly, Jeremy Carlton, I, he was on my radar. I didn't end up going with him. Uh, I ended up going with the uh, Dean Evison of the Minnesota wild. And I'll explain why. If you look at Barry Trotz, he gets the most out of his teams every single year. Um, it wasn't a foregone conclusion that, um, the Islanders were going to be on people's radar, especially yep. in that tough division. Um, they're just a tough team to play against. And we've known that for a few years now. Um, you knew what you were going to ex- uh, get, expect and get out of the Colorado Avalanche every single game. You're going to get a high-octane offense that also has a pretty good defense, yeah. and it's very well coached. Uh, same with Rod Brendamore and the Hurricanes. You have all that depth offensively, defensively, between the pipes. Um, the way that they play the game, it's incredible. 
Um, Mike Sullivan dealing with injuries again, surprise, surprise, Pittsburgh banged up with injuries and still finding ways to get results, even though they struggled in the first month or so, um, they I'll give them credit. They've picked it up and Sullivan's coaching tactics. Um, I think it's safe to say they played a role in their resurgence. You look at Joel Quenville and how guys like Alex Winberg have kind of revived their careers and Carter Verhage in his first year um, has turned into a top six forward magically. Yep. Um, and he was pretty good before. He just wasn't getting the minutes. And now that he's playing with guys like Alex Barkov, um, it, it's just working out really, really well for him. Um, but Florida on paper had the assets to potentially be one of those teams on the rise, uh, especially in, I would say, a lesser of a division compared to the Atlantic that they're usually in. Um, and then, of course, John Cooper and the Tampa Bay Lightning defending champions. What more can you say? Again, similar to the Blackhawks, and I have alluded to it before, you didn't know what you were going to get from the Minnesota Wild this year with their goaltending, with their offense, their defense. For the most part, you knew what you were going to get there. Um, but there was a lot of uncertainty as to the overall impact and where they would fit in. Well, next thing you know, 13-3-0 on home ice, one of the best home records in the league, 21-10-1 on the year, riding a, Talbot, uh, a tandem that features Cam Talbot and Capo Kakinen. Both have been very good this year, to the point where you put Alex Stalock on waivers. Um, he, at one point, was their starter last year. And you don't have him, you don't have Ryan Donato, like I said, you don't have Devin Dubnik, you don't have Jason Zucker, you don't have Eric Stahl. And you're, you're looking at guys like Jordan Greenway, as you mentioned, have stepped up. You look at guys like um, Joel Erickson Eck, who are starting to pick it up. A lot of people were thinking uh, Kevin Fiala would be the primary point of their offense. It's turned out to be Kirill Kaprizov. And Kevin Fiala has been all right, but I don't think he's been as dominant. Imagine what they could be how good they could be when he gets going. Right. And you have Victor Rass producing again, like I said, and Matt Zuccarello, same thing. Um, I, I just like how he's been able to get the most out of this team. Even though their power play, like I said, is just straight up trash in terms of execution, like not even at 10% dead last in the league for good reason. But they have the fourth best penalty kill, only three teams have given up fewer goals than them. And to this point, I would have to say that he's done a great job. And I'm interested to see how Minnesota fares moving forward. If they can continue to be a top 10 team in this league and they can make the playoffs, um, and yeah, they they have like the Kings and the Sharks and the Ducks who aren't really doing well, there's not much competition knocking on their door for that fourth and final spot it, it, it is certainly noteworthy that they're winning games and not only winning games they're giving teams like vegas a run for their yeah. money they're giving teams like colorado and st louis a run for their money as well and and they're just taking it one day at a time and they're finding a way to get results and i think it speaks to the team that they've created and i think they're probably one of the best teams to a T yep. um, that, that we that we are seeing in the league right now. So I, I definitely think his impact shouldn't be underestimated. He'll be top five in ballot in ballot votes for sure. Um, 
I I can definitely see him winning it. I don't know if at the end of the day he will, but I definitely think he's put himself in a very good position, and to this would be my choice. Yeah, I guess, um, yeah, I think the reason why I decided to go with Colton instead was because I felt like the Central Division is a lot tougher than the Western Division. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I obviously I had him as an honorable mention, but I think Colleton has it. Um, and I guess another guy you mentioned who's also in the Central Division is John Quenville. Um, so, so that, and he's, you know, Florida's doing much better than Chicago, and I think that was also another one where we weren't sure what Florida was going to be this year, but I feel like in terms of Chicago and Minnesota, they were, like, we all thought both those teams were rebuilding, and all of a sudden, they could they have a shot at the playoffs. Um, all of a sudden, um, I guess granted they could still all both like fall off and and not make the playoffs. But at this point, I think uh, both of them have been more impressive than like Florida. You could kind of see it because it's like well, Bobrowski, we know what he like. Yeah, he had a terrible season last year, but we can kind of figure him out. And like you know, Aaron Eckblad won. You know, he was the first round pick. Um, overall last year so you could kind of make a case that like Florida you know and you know Florida also has Barkov and Huberdo who are very consistent so you could at least see Florida being uh, being good but like there was no chance that people thought like the Blackhawks or Minnesota were gonna be uh, this good right now so so I think that that um, that gives them both those coaches an advantage over Quinville um, and also, uh, Jared Bennar and John Cooper also deserve some praise too, but, um, they're on good team. You know, they coach good teams. Um, let's, and then our last thing that we're going to talk about, and this will probably be pretty quick because it's basically just a guess of, uh, who will get more goals, uh, Austin Matthews or Connor McDavid. Um, I have here Connor, I have here Austin Matthews, I think, uh, Mostly just purely because I think Matthews is a better goal scorer than Connor McDavid is, um, and all that stuff. And I think like if you just figure it out that way, that I think it's it's probably gonna be Austin Matthews. He's you know he's leading the league in goals right now. Um, he has 22 goals and McDavid has 21. But um, and Matthews has been doing that in less games than McDavid has. Uh, he has four less games than McDavid right now. So I think that that's another reason too, but, um, but yeah, I think it's, 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 it's going to be Austin Matthews who will get the rocket Richard. Yeah. This, this is going to be interesting. Um, cause I don't even think he's going to be top three. I think he'll be top five. I don't think he's going to be top three at the end of the year. Who Matthews? Uh, I don't know if you recall. A Wait, who are you talking ago. about? Matthews? Yeah. Yeah. Really? Okay. I think he'll be top five. I don't think he'll be top three once the season ends in goal scoring. And the reason I say that is because I think I talked about it a couple of weeks ago that he was experiencing issues um, not too long ago in terms of his shot because he was oh. a bit banged up and that was affecting his release. And he was still finding a way to, to generate shots. Um, but you can see over the past stretch of games, five, ten games or whatever, he hasn't been scoring at the same clip that um, he was before uh, he went down. Like, he was scoring at almost a goal-per-game pace, which is insane. Right. Um, so, I look at guys like Ovechkin. Like, Ovechkin yeah, is one cool. of those guys that you never fully count out. And, hey, here he comes again, top 10 in goals. Right. Uh, thanks to a, a recent stretch of success there. 
I think he's going to be right in the mix. Uh, McDavid, same thing, just the way the Oilers offense runs. I think he'll continue to score. And David Pasternak, um, who's played in, I think, fewer games than Austin Matthews. Um, Bruce Cassidy uh, was asking more of his veterans. He didn't really like um, the usual guys. He didn't like their recent performances. And he asked him to step up. I consider Pasternak to be a pretty passionate guy. Yep. I think he'll take those words to heart. He's going to get hot. And by the end of the season, I think he's going to be the Rocket Richard winner, really? which I'm sure, Brett, you'll be pleased with Yeah. Um, as you're a Bruins fan. Of but, um, yeah, I, I, I think Pasternak's going to win the Rocket Richard this year. I just have a feeling. Okay, I think, <laughs> well, I'm actually surprised that you said that because – I think the th- the knock on Pasternak, as much as I love him, and yeah, you're right, he is he he has. I'm looking here. He has a point six one goals. Um, he's scoring point six one goals per game, which is second only to Austin Matthews in goals per game. Um, so, so that's that's pretty impressive. I think the thing that that knocks him down, though, of course, is the fact that Pasternak uh, missed the whole month. And um, that's just a lot to catch up to um, as much as I want to. I think currently I have to look where he is. Yeah, he's 26 right now um, in the goals race. Um, and so he has a lot of catching up to do. I guess it's, it's still possible he has 14 goals, whereas Matthews has 22. So that means he's um, eight. Oh, no, sorry, nine, nine goals behind Austin Matthews. So it's still possible, but he has a lot of like other people that he has to catch up to. Ovechkin, Dreisaitl, um, McDavid, Rantanen, Max Pacioretty, Tyler Toffoli, Kyle Connor, Chris Kreider, Brock Besser, Alex Dabrinkat, uh, Steven Samko, Sebastian Ajo, I could go down this list, Car- even Carter Verhey. You know, so it's it, it, it's going to be tough for him to catch up just because he's missed so many games. But of course, like if this was like goals per game, like if Rocket Richard was <laughs> based off of goals per game, then Pasternak probably does... Uh, beat out Matthews, but maybe not. If if what you're saying is true about uh, Matthews maybe being injured, but I, I I think it's still Austin Matthews. I know that's kind of a safe pick because he is the goals leader right now, but I feel like um, he's been consistent enough for the past like three seasons that he's uh, he's got it in the bag. Um, consistent, yes, but they there are also like a lot of weapons on the Leafs yeah. that can score as well, and oh, yeah. also a lot of weapons on Colorado, of even course. Winnipeg as well, which is, uh, I think, another part that needs to be considered. With the Bruins, their offense almost revolves on Pasternak scoring goals, yeah, which is extent. why I think he's going to get his fair share. Well, I mean, there's also Brad Marchand who scores a lot, but well, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. But like, yeah, I, I can see that, but like, I'm looking at the goals list, there aren't too many, like, Mitchell Marner's not on here, William Nylander's not on here, or John Tavares isn't, I mean, John Tavares, oh no, Nylander's on here, but he's like 28th, he only has 13 goals, um, so it's, it's not, um, and Mitchell Marner's more of a, an assist guy than a, um, yeah. a goal guy, so, um, so he doesn't really rack up the goals, but he does get a lot of assists, obviously, but, oh, I guess he has 12, he has 12 goals, so he's 40th in the league, but, yeah, so I think I think it's just because Pasternak's missed so many games that it's it's almost hard for him to uh, catch up to everyone else. Even though, like, I was joking at the beginning because I think he started he had a really hot start. He had like five goals in his first three games or something like that. 
Um, but, like, yeah, he has 23 games. The rest of them have, like, 30. Um, so I, I feel like it's just going to be a, a tough to catch up because he has to catch up for 10 more games that he missed. So so that's that's basically why I, I don't think it's going to be Pastor Nate. Um, yeah. All right, so that's about it for us here. Um, that That's it, yeah. Um, you can listen to us on Spotify, follow us there. Also iTunes and, uh, SoundCloud, um, our, our, uh, Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. That's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 263 of the Lace Them Up Podcast.